0: Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope you're doing well wherever you're listening at. I wanted to share something with you before we get to today's episode I thought was pretty cool that I, I had heard and I, I decided I'm, I'm going to do it. And I think everyone should should probably do it too. So I heard from somebody the other day that one of the things that they did was from another podcaster is they recorded a podcast with each of their parents and it was just one-on-one, they'll never release the episode, but they said it was incredible. And they also said it was really cool just for the sake of when their parents do pass away, they have an, an hour-long conversation recorded with their parents. And so I thought that was so cool, I was like, man, like I want to do that, because right now, God forbid something were to happen, you know, we have a few photos maybe a couple of short clip videos, but I don't really have any long form content with my parents. And I, I feel like that would be awesome. And so I've decided I'm going to do that. And even if you don't have a podcast, like you, I mean, I'm not going to put it you know, on this feed or anything like that, because it's not going to be a baseball podcast. But even if you don't have a podcast, I would recommend doing that. I just think that's something that would be really cool to have, um, once your parents pass away and you can, you know, constantly go back and listen to it. And it's like, they're still there with you. So that's something that I'm going to do. I'll, I'll, when I get done recording, I have three parents, mom, dad, stepdad. So when I get done recording all three of those episodes, I'll, I'll uh, let you know how it went. And, but I, I still think everybody should do that. Even if you don't have a podcast, I just think it'd be really cool. So in today's episode, going going now switching gears and going into the the baseball realm. In today's episode, we have uh, two guys, two great guys. They're 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 both in the private sector. They both have uh, you know one's more so on the hitting side specifically, and John Sangalo, and then Matt Poluski, I hope I got that right. Uh, Polish Matt Poluski, He owns a, a baseball facility in pittsburgh pennsylvania it's called pvs um, performance velocity systems he does some a lot of stuff with pitchers but also does some stuff with hitting too and so matt matt poluski and john Sanglo, they're friends they know each other that's the first time i've ever talked to both of them so i was interested just to hear their background and their story um, but they're two great guys they're two two guys who are very progressive they love to learn uh, john was a former cop for 20 years before he got into coaching and when you hear his voice you'll immediately know like man this guy sounds like a new york new jersey cop like hardcore and he, he really does but they're both awesome guys i'll put all their contact information in the show notes instead of just saying it right now and worry about writing it down so all their contact information will be in the show notes if you guys are interested in in learning more about them but they're two great guys and I hope you enjoy the episode with John Sangulo and Matt Poluski. All right, fellas, we're now live on the podcast. I appreciate both you guys for coming on today.
1: Thank Thanks for having us.
0: So this is going to be a, a, a fun episode. I, I enjoy doing these kind of like roundtable discussions, and I've had a few people reach out um, and, and asked to, to have you guys on the podcast and, um, you know, I've been doing some research, following you guys, looking over some past content just to get ready for this and, um, reading some articles like Matt, I saw that, you know, you've been featured in some, um, articles. I, I was reading one about pine tar and, uh, some of the stuff you're doing for silly, which was kind of cool. And then John, you know, I, I, I tell you what, man, I was watching some of your videos and I was pretty intimidated just by how jacked you are. And then your, your voice, and everything, I was like, man, this guy's intense. I don't I don't want to ask him any bad questions, but um, maybe, Matt, let's start out with you. Uh, you have your own facility. How long have you had your facility and kind of how did how did you get started in this player development thing?
2: Oh, boy. Um, I, I think I've been in this spot for about seven years. Um, at first, it was one day a week. Uh, it grew from there. I have a very strange story uh, as does my brother, John over there, but uh, mine started with an injury. Um, My son uh, was doing everything I thought you were supposed to do playing a lot of travel ball. Um, He had been uh, playing for what some consider to be the the best team around here. And then after every travel ball season, there's a tryout. So he went to another tryout for a team in Ohio. Uh, He is a catcher, was a catcher, is a catcher. And, um, you know we were just getting ready for the tryout doing a little bit of what we thought was proper arm care which was just taking a baseball and warming up by throwing and uh after about i don't know 20 or 30 throws we started to throw hard down to second base because he would be evaluated on that well in the one of the first throws for the warm-ups you know he immediately fell to the ground in this shrieking pain and the ball barely got to second base and i said oh boy something's wrong so um He actually completed the trial without throwing, uh, but it was obvious to me something was wrong. I took him to uh, the closest hospital I could find, which is kind of between Pittsburgh and and where I was in Akron, so somewhere around Youngstown. And uh, the emergency room doctor told me he had little league elbow, and I just, I didn't, something, my parental intuition felt that something was wrong uh, with that diagnosis. Uh, And maybe I'll speak more on that later. but uh, I went back to Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, I have some uh, relatives that are uh, medical field, a couple nurses, and they thought that there were a couple of things that could have been. And um, I just felt like, boy, that was an acute, snappy kind of pain that, that I witnessed when he threw the ball. And so I uh, I called at the time Mark Helsel, who was the director of U.S. Elite, and he had some contacts with... Uh, different doctors down south, one of them being, uh, Dr. Andrews in Arkansas. And, um, Dr. Andrews got us with a, a, a knee doctor, a knee orthopedist in uh, Pittsburgh named Jan Gruziak. And so Mr. Uh, Dr. Gruziak took a look at Joey, my son, and, uh, immediately said, if this kid doesn't have this piece of his elbow reattached, he's never going to play baseball again because that piece of the bone is off. It's floating. It's called a lesion when it does that. And if we don't reattach it, um, you know it, it, that part of the bone is going to die. So, fast forward, he gets the surgery. He gets the uh, uh, the follow up surgeries, and during all that time, as a dad, I'm filled with a, a lot of guilt. Did this kid play too much? Did I help do this? You know, he had played a, a bazillion travel games, and uh, he was a catcher and a pitcher. So, I, I had a lot of uh, a lot of hard questions, a lot of hard looks in the mirror uh, for a long time. And so, I decided to look into why this happened and by looking into why this happened, which led me to, you know, some of the things we'll talk about later with John and meet and ultimately meeting John. But I found a lot of guys that have a lot of Twitter followers now, but were very unknown back then. Um, guys that were posting on what were called message boards, uh, Eric Cressy, Kyle Bodie, uh, Ben Brewster, um, Randy Sullivan, a lot of these guys. And I learned from them and they were very generous with their time. And, and back then, this is a long time. And it's like 2014. This was uh witchcraft back then, some of the stuff I was getting into, some of the things that are very common now, shoulder tubes, J bands, um, the thought of doing things to warm up before you actually throw. So I started to bring those things to this young, this small heist, not small, a larger high school that I was a hitting coach at called Bethel Park in Pittsburgh. And uh, I didn't really gain much traction with, and I didn't really seek to gain much traction with it in terms of the business, but I had a couple of, uh, kids that would come to me to to play travel ball on a team called The Fish. And one of them was from Upper St. Clair, an affluent neighborhood in South Hills of Pittsburgh. Um, And he went to his tryouts and all of a sudden was instead of 73, he was 84 miles an hour. So some of his teammates took notice. And then some of the B players from Bethel Park also were asking me for lessons and to do stuff that I wasn't really comfortable doing. So what I would do is I would illegally – bring kids to the Bethel Park you know, facilities and the school because if you're not from the district you're not supposed to be using them so we would bring people there and we would work on some of these new concepts that had been shown to me by, uh, by some of those generous people I discussed earlier and uh, it just so happens that one of Jeffrey's um, teammates at Upper St. Clair was a young man named Andrew Casey and his dad is of course uh, Sean Casey from MLB Network and uh-huh. uh, I got a, a phone call uh, one night I was at a uh, a local piano on a piano like a you know a, just a music hall and there was a gin blossoms cover band playing and i like the gin blossoms so i was listening to that intently and i get this phone call and this guy if you ever if you ever talked to or, or, or met sean casey he's everything everybody says he is. he's very loud very genuine just a great great human being and uh he yeah was we, like, we've hey, had man, him on the podcast. T-. Oh yeah. He's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's, Hey Matt, this is Sean Casey. And I just, I hung up on him. I thought it was somebody messing with me. So then he sends me a text and I, uh, I look at the text and it says, Hey, this is Sean Casey. And he explains how he got my number. And then I was like, Oh shit. So I went outside. It was about 20 degrees. I've got this black shirt on and jeans and I'm freezing. And Sean Casey, who's, one of the most consequential pro athletes from Western Pennsylvania is talking to me on the phone about baseball and how he wants me to come in and teach his kid. And Oh, by the way, his nephew, uh, what I've learned. And I just thought to myself, Holy shit. Okay. So I went to his, he had his own little facility like this and I went there and, um, I was talking to him or whatever. And then the subject of Al lighter came up. He said, you know, Al lighter has been telling me about this thing. And, and of course, we know Al Leiter's son now, but back in the day before Vanderbilt, not many people knew who Jack Leiter was. So he said, Jack's been doing this stuff and and Al tells me it's great. And, uh, and you're the only guy I know around here that understands or seems to be pushing this. And would you be willing to work with my son and my nephew? And I said, um, uh, yeah. And uh, so I did. And then about three days later, I got 15 phone calls. So like, you know, who's this new guy that Sean Casey is sending his son to? So I said, I better start an LLC. And so That's how this whole thing happened, and it totally grew organically from there. Um, We, of course, were the – we were witchcraft to a lot of the establishment around here. Not a lot of people still to this day uh, like what we do. Um, But we got results for kids, and so I ended up quitting my job. I can't even tell you how long ago that was, my real job, Uh, and just started to do this full-time. And, uh, in fact, today is take your daughter to work day, so after I'm done with you – I'm going to pick up my daughter, who's down at uh, the courthouse with my wife. Who's that's her half of the uh, take your daughter to work day, and then the other half is I'm going to take her to the pirate game and I'm going to bring her here, wow. and she's going to run around while 40 or 50 uh, high school and uh, we still have a few indie ballers are going to be whipping balls around and hitting and lifting weights. So it's it's it totally happened by accident. Um, it wouldn't have happened without total luck and one kid who happened to know a kid who had a you know a great major league player and MLB personality saw what we were doing. That led to some word of mouth. And uh, we have, we, we have just hired the right people we've grown. I got some good advice from some of those guys when I was starting out about, uh, you know, growing proportionately and, and, and just not trying to get too deep into debt when you're buying some of this stuff that we have, because it is very expensive. Some of the tech we have, um, and, uh, I got, I got really lucky and, uh, I think if you work really hard, luck will find you. And certainly there was a lot of, a lot of work involved. I stayed up late many nights. My wife would come down in the basement, think I was doing something else, but really I was studying and learning. And, uh, you know, John has stories like this as well, but I think it, it just was a happy accident. And, uh, and I'm really happy that it did. Cause it's, it seems to be what, what my calling is, what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and I enjoy it so so much. So that's kind of my story.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. John, what about you?
1: Oh man, same type of stuff. Um But you were you
0: were, I mean, you were a cop for 20 years before you did all these right? Um, yeah.
1: Um got on the job in 2001. Um, was involved in a couple of critical incidents right away within six months. Um saw, you know, was involved with Two cops being shot. Um, you know, six months later, I was involved in another one. Um, it was a hard year and a half. I was making twenty-eight thousand dollars a year to start. Uh, I was like, "Oh my God, what am I doing here?" I was working in the inner city. It's a five and a half, seven square, seven square mile city with a lot, of, lot of violence. Um, I was took the job just to, you know, really try to make myself better or my family better. And then when I really found out what the job was really about, um, it was, it, it hit hard. Um, I struggled a little bit early on the job, but I end up getting through it. I persevered through it. I ended up uh, studying really hard. Um, a lot of the writing was in the beginning was, you know, a lot of the report writing was kind of hard. It was difficult. Um, only having like basic education of high school, um, I studied real hard. I started doing a lot of law enforcement handbook reading, and I ended up making myself into. I was in the, I was in the inner city where it was real prevalent with gangs, and I was stuck down there for about three and a half years. And in two thousand seven, I started really working this area really hard, and I was on a foot post from eleven thirty a.m. to nine thirty, and I would really like get into these guys and start to understand. I would take a book and I would mark down each guy if they were missing a tooth or if they had gold teeth or a marking on their eye where I stopped them. And I would go back into headquarters and I would run their names. And if they had to give me false names, I would try to find their tattoos on their face through our database. And I end up keeping a book that was like, no lie, like 3 leap binder. And it was huge, over like four or 500 pages long. And I end up knowing all these guys in this neighborhood. Um, I would stop and pull next to them and have conversations with them. And I'd be open with these guys. And, you know, they were good guys, you know, just because it was inner city and, you know, there was some violence down there. That's what they knew. So I really got to know these guys. And then in 2007, uh, the DEA came in from South Jersey and wanted to do a big investigation in the city. And then um, they requested to take me, because I knew all these guys. I knew the cars they were driving. I had this huge book of girlfriends' cars. I had this intel that I was keeping on my own, not knowing anything. Um, I just wanted to know these guys. I wanted to be able to call them out by their government name. I wanted to be able to talk to them um, by their real names. Um, I ended up getting a lot of contacts out there. And then I started to know their nicknames. And they were like, how do you know all this? And one day I was driving down a block. And I was by myself and our cars are all beat up in the inner city. Our police cars, you know, we're working on, you know, basically one wheel of a car and, you know, no rugs in a car, barely a radio working. And I'm leaning my head out the window like this. And they were like, look at this pet detective Ace Venture. <laughs> that was in 2007. They were, look at this pet detective. So then they were all calling me Ace. So the whole city started calling me Ace. That's what I started to get known as in the whole city. So I started to get, you know, get a little name and that's how I got the nickname Ace. Um, so my son started playing baseball. My son now is 20. Um, when he started, um, I always knew he was going to be small. Um, I always knew like he wasn't going to be a big kid. Um, so I was real tough on him in early going um, with defense. Um, I broke down the footwork. Me as a player, I felt like I was a good defender. Couldn't hit for shit. Um, couldn't figure it out. I was always side around the ball. Could never stay inside the ball and never hit oppo gaps. Never had good power that way. Um, so I just took it real hard on him to develop him as a fielder. Um, I found the old stubby way of infielding, the Dominican way. Back in the old days, I don't know if you ever heard of stubby. It uh, was one of the best – Uh, DVDs, man, I was in that basement. Like Matt said, I was in the basement writing notes and back and forth, and I'm like, this guy's breaking down footwork. And my son now is on the front lawn with paddles in his hands and bare hands with cardboard boxes, and we're doing all this crazy. I wouldn't let him use a glove, and I would just break down the right-left triangles, and needless to say, he became pretty good in the infield. And um, so he started to become really good in the infield, and him being small, And now at the age of 12, 13 years old, I get, I go buy that Zep app. And I put the Zep app at the bottom of this cap of his bat. And I'm looking at the, you could, he's a left-handed hitter. So you can see the bat path. And I think at the time Rizzo was on there that you can compare bat paths. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? So I have him in the backyard. I'm like, Matthew, take a swing. I'm like, no, go back outside. Let's go back outside. Let's make a swing again. And then I would compare bat pass against Rizzo's bat path. And I'm like, something's up here. Matthew's bat pass was across his body, maxing out in the barrels in the zone because he was pushing his hands and he was getting knobbed down and through. I'm like, no, no, I Look, Rizzo's barrel, Rizzo's barrel's turning through the zone and maxing out right at contact with the red lines. I'm like, something was up. So then I went down a rabbit hole because I just knew the area that I lived in it was very, 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 it's very political. Um, and it's, you know, there's some good baseball players in it. So I had to make sure, like, I got to get this kid right with his bat path. And then I, I just went down the rabbit hole. And, you know, I started looking up Tewksbury. I found Tewksbury at the time. I think it was like 2015, 16, I found Tewks. I started following a lot of Tewksbury stuff. And at the time, he had a lot of online stuff. And then um, I started getting on Twitter. I didn't really know how to use Twitter. Um, I just started finding this guy, Richard Schenk. Uh, I started following him. Um, and then I went, and like I said, as Matt was – we could tell you the story, because Matt, Matt could probably tell you the story a little better, how I met Matt. But I, I met Rich for the first time in 17 of March. And then if Matt wants to fill this story in on how we met in 18. <laughs> Um, that was May of 18. I met him up in New York and, and I hit with Rich for three days. And um, from there, I just I went nuts. I went crazy. And the story keeps on going from there. I mean, from there I went to Hudo, Texas. Uh, another guy, I kind of liked the way he was his, he was presenting things, um, didn't look so stuck on the backside. He had more of a path looking um, way of teaching down in Texas, but he was also a rich guy. Um, so I flew down there with my wife to San Antonio, Texas, Hudo, Texas. I went and spent three days with him, swung it with him for three days. And then from there I came back home and I really started to teach it amongst a travel ball organization that I started to run. And um, like I said, I always had a good way of breaking down the infield, but I never had that group way of breaking it down in a group setting. And then, you know, when I went and met Rich and I saw some things that he was doing and then I went and met one of his colleagues down in Texas. Um, I saw what he was doing and then I got an idea I'm like All right, I can start breaking this down into segments, into digestible parts, um, into ways that kids can start understanding. So I was a very big golfer um, at that point. Um, I was real big with the golfing machine. I don't know if you ever heard of the golfing machine way of golfing. Um, Homer Kelly was all about angles. It was all about um, taking the club face to a certain point in front of the ball and just allowing the ball to run in the way of the club face. So when I started hearing these guys talk about taking the barrel back and behind, and allowing the ball to run inside or run into and make a collision with your barrel, something right there clicked. Something right there clicked. I was always that guy, knobs first, knob first, foot down first, knob down through, through the front side. And once I heard somebody takes talk about taking that barrel back and behind, I was instantly hooked, instantly hooked. And then that's when, you know, I met Matt. You can take – you can fill it in how Matt and I met. I think that's a pretty good story on how Matt and I met. So, Matt, go ahead fill that in.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I again – I was chasing uh, with John was who's trying to help my kid play better baseball. Um, but you know, as a unaccomplished former ball player myself, I always wanted to know more. And I, I guess in, in my in my basement time studying what was going on with my son's throwing mechanics, I of course would run into uh, uh, hitting stuff. And um, one of the biggest uh, uh, bulletin boards back in the day was was hitting Illustrated, and um, that was run by. Uh, Richard, And then there was uh, one before that called Set Pro Sports, which was run by a guy named Paul Nyman. And uh, I call Paul Nyman the godfather because whether you're a hitter or whether you're a thrower, a lot of the new – not new. A lot of the concepts that are uh, very popular right now have their roots in in Mr. Nyman's work. And um, so uh, through Mr. – Mr. Nyman was very good at at, at teaching, um, presenting what he thought was uh, how you should rotate when you hit and all those things. But – um, he didn't take it as far as, 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 some other people in terms of either monetizing what he knew or getting it out there. Mr. Nyman never chased that. Mr. Nyman just was trying to help people. He wasn't trying to be more than what he was. So at the time I didn't know this, but, um, I know it now, a lot of the things that, that, you know, that I've, it took me seven years to learn. I should have followed uh, Mr. Nyman a lot closer back in the day, but one of his bulletin boards did lead me to Richard. And so Richard then had his own bulletin board and, uh, and I was following what he was saying for the same reasons John was, um, uh, and I, I started to think that a lot of things that I, I thought I knew about baseball were 100 wrong. And uh, and to Richard's to Richard's credit, he did um, point out some things that that were commonly taught that just didn't really hold up. And so I found uh, Richard, and uh, I had worked with him, uh, my son rather worked with him a few times, and then I took two girls to this place in Northern Jersey, Soprano Land. And, uh, and like many of these hitting clinics, there are two sessions. Generally, one of them, uh, was for kids, maybe 14 and under. And, uh, so my two girls spit that bill, they were in the cage as well as, you know, this 40 year old guy. And, uh, you know, everybody was kind of like chuckling. Who's this guy in the cage laughing and me? I was like, I need to talk to this guy because, uh, I just felt like anybody that's willing to get into that cage and, uh and swing to learn um, is worthy of a conversation at least. So, so I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, my name is Matt. I'm from Pittsburgh. Uh, what's your story? And he's, you know, in that thick Jersey i I'm just trying to figure this out for my kid and for my kids back home. She's trying to understand this pattern. And, and I just instantly felt a connection with him. I'm, I'm from uh, the city of Pittsburgh and, and John has a very city feel. Um, and so I, uh, I, I bonded with him immediately uh, we exchanged information. He flew to Texas, as he was talking about. Right after, actually, during that time, he called me. I don't think his wife was thrilled about that, but I think the deal was, "Hey, I'll go hit, and then when we're not hitting, we'll, we'll see San Antonio." But he did make time for me for about an hour on the phone, and uh, and he was telling me all this new stuff, and we we were excited. You know, we were excited because not only uh, were we excited to learn, um, we were excited for a little bit of validation you know it's risky going out there and doing crazy stuff and back then believe me the stuff that john was talking about was crazy to this day people still give john and me a hard time about stuff but back then um it was really a threat to a lot of people who make a lot of money off of uh hitting and and whatnot so uh i remember my wife saying who's this guy you're talking to in san antonio it was just it was an exciting time because we were on to something we didn't know what it was but we certainly knew, well, you know if this guy's gonna put himself out there then i'm gonna I'm gonna hitch my wagon to him, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this more often. It was nice to have somebody um that I could talk to that understood what I was after that you know that would challenge me in terms of what I was thinking and looking at, but at the same time respected what I was trying to do and I think that uh that that's I don't think I know that that's very very rare uh to be able to talk to somebody who has uh the same intent that you do in terms of trying to learn with no, those doesn't care how we get there. So yeah, we, we had a very interesting uh, way of meeting, but since that day in Northern New Jersey, I talked to this guy two, three, four, five times a week, depending on the week. And uh, you know, I, I have him to my facility at least three times a year. And sometimes I'll take my son out to see him still to this day. So that's how we met. Um, he is a, uh, fiercely loyal to the people who, who respect him to the hitters that uh, come and work with him. Um, He is just uh, a wealth of knowledge because he has tried all different types of doorknobs. And, uh, and, and that's what I like about John. A lot of his journey mirrors uh, some of what I've done uh, on the other side, with throwing, uh, but also trying to follow him and catch him with, with batting. And so uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what he says today as well, because, Every time I talk to him or sit down with him, it's, it's something new. And, and that's another thing that's, that's really awesome about uh, learning from John is you're not going to hear the same six drills uh, year in, year out. Uh, the drills might be similar, but uh, the emphasis or the execution uh, may change because he, he finds another way to either make the drill better or, and this is this is probably most important, more efficient. So I'm looking forward to hearing how this goes today as well, as much as everybody is listening. So
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. John, Matt had mentioned there that, you know, early on you were getting some flack from people because you were doing stuff a little bit differently. And, um, and, you know, probably with the way social media is now, you probably maybe still are getting some stuff. Um, what, like what, what is it that you teach that people don't, maybe agree with like why do
1: do you think people people don't people give me flack because i'm always thinking outside the box and i think that i'm not scared um of the failure i believe failure is gonna get me make me stronger and make my players stronger in the future get them better um i will try whatever it takes to get these kids better um as matt has said um, about Paul Nyman. Paul Nyman has reached out to me. I've spoke to Paul Nyman several times. Um, Paul Nyman's in the works of coming up with something, and hopefully, we're going to meet up and we're going to get together. Paul Nyman and I. Um, Paul asked me literally. He broke it down. He's a lot smarter than I am with his words. Um, he's basically a scientist, an engineer. Um, I am a feel guy. I am very feel. Um, matt's a better speaker right i'm all about field so for hours upon hours i'd be in my backyard swinging golf clubs um watching rotational baseball videos for softball because i never was able to hit a ball out of the park in softball and then i started rotating and learning how to keep a power v and a box in my backyard and i'd be hitting off the tee keeping a box and power v's and I'm like, this is rotational way of hitting. And they called it the rotational way. Now I'm getting better and I'm hitting home runs out of the park. And like something's going on here. So I'm just figuring it out on my own. My kids are young. And I'm always thinking in my mind and processing the feel and coming up with a drill to break it down to get that particular element that I want the kid to feel. So basically, you know what I mean? I'll break down rotation early into the swing i'll break down rotation then i'll break down a back feel letting the kids feel that lat roll on the back then i'll get them to rotate to get that to feel like the lat and the hinge is going to get the the pull the back side um with the whole golf swing you know it's not done with the top half of the body um rotation takes the, the club face inside to make contact with the ball um I feel the same way with the baseball swing, with the softball swing. Everything starts from the ground up. I'm huge with the pelvis. I'm huge with the feet. Um, I'm huge with the toes. I watch toes. Unbelievable. I watch the heel, what the heel's doing. Um, I'm just big with the rear hip and the way everything syncs up. Uh, I feel like I really have a good feel on how the hip and how the pelvis is supposed to work from my golf days nyman had made that um comment to me because nyman has made comments where people think they feel something and they misconstrue the field because they're totally wrong um and i think you see that a lot with you know people doing this dump back and losing the leg and their their feet are not supporting their lower half and they're losing the back side of the body i was there i was at that point in the instruction i was there and i'm just Something's not right here. And I kept on digging and digging and digging. So unfortunately, I had to leave my career early through some deaths that I had, you know, um, with some partners. um, um, With a best friend of mine who was also a cop in 2017. So um, with some critical incidents that I was involved in. So when I left early and retired early, um, I put myself into a trainer. Um, three days a week because, again, I have to feel my body. So I, there's a guy, Thunder and Lightning, his name is Connor Abreu. He trained under Eric Cressy. He's got a really, really good spot here in Hamilton Township where I'm at. Uh, a lot of the, my hitters, my better players all train with him, and these kids are putting on 35, 40 pounds of muscle in a year and a half, two years. So now when I retired, I was like, this guy's all for an adult class. So I got to go take an adult class from this guy. So now I'm signed up and I'm spending, you know, a couple hundred hours a month and just to be able to train, I have trained my whole life. I just never trained properly. There's a proper way of training. I'm going into the gym and pumping up 245 for six to eight reps. That's not training. Um, So I went and this guy started to train me and I'm in there Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays at 7 a.m. in the morning and I'm in these classes, adult class. Now I'm starting to feel my body really rotate. I'm feeling, I'm learning about the three planes of motion. Um, you know, the sagittal, the transverse, the frontal, um, I'm studying, um, I'm reading a lot of stuff from Lotif, Michael Lotif. Um, I'm really studying, I'm, I'm narrowing that all down and the way he's talking about moving forward with tension and being able to control the back. And so now I'm putting all this together in my, you know, my personal workouts and this guy's talking the same type of stuff. So when people are starting to talk about the rear leg and you're spinning around a rear leg and it, it, you know, the ball and socket and the femur. And now I'm watching hitters. And as I grow and I'm putting it all back in my mind, I'm like, now I understand why, you know, my hitters were struggling with, you know, elite fastballs. Yeah, you can hit the 70 miles per hour fast pitch down the, you know, the plate, but they're not handling the outside part of the plate. They're not handling the high pitch because they're all stuck behind the belly button because they're all losing the rear leg spinning. Like I said, I've, I've been on the road for many, many for many years, learning from the, you know, the whole rear-legged way. Yes, if a guy's, you know, an elite athlete and strong enough, and he is capable enough to be able to handle not moving as far out, is he able to get the barrel up to speed faster in his hands, and he's got that type of speed? Yes, it's going going to bring his contact points back, right, where he can be a little snappier. But Early on, like I started teaching this early to seven, eight, ten-year-old kids. And these kids were tending to get stuck because they weren't athletic enough. They weren't strong enough to handle these positions. So the midst of this, the whole story, once I understood really, you know, with the rotational phase and with the cold golf and I started really getting the rotation, kids started to understand and under control better direction away. So, yes, I can teach a hitter today to be real snappy and be real quick. But I also teach a hitter how to get up and through that front side and be able to work through. The best, best pitch in baseball is a changeup. If you can't work through that front side and you're sticking that leg and that leg is spinning and you see a lot of these guys that are rear-leg dominant, they're not holding the ground on that front side long enough. You'll see the front foot come up. You'll see the front heel roll. They're not locking down into the ground long enough in order for the top half to maintain the direction through and under. So, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions going on. I felt like I've tried it all. I felt that, you know, I've been traveling the country and I've made some great contacts throughout the country. Um, I'm always willing to learn, like Matt said, Matt has made a lot of good connections throughout the country. He's learned from a lot of different people and be able to put it to his own spin. Um, I met a guy not too long ago, like out in Missouri. Um, he's man, he's, he's a bright man. I don't want to name drop because I know he's a very private man. He's not on Twitter. His, 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 uh, his programs on Twitter. Um, but the man had developed three first rounders within the first seven rounds at the age of 24 years old, you go to his property. He's got a $500,000 hitting facility on his property. Um, with three softball fields connected into his farm. His daughter's the best player at 12 U in the country. Um, I met him through a friend in Nebraska. I was working with the Nebraska firecrackers. I was flying out to Nebraska and working with that program. And Jason Klein is his name. Uh, Jason Klein's sister played for Washington state. I think she coached at Washington state. She also uh, coached at the Nebraska U. Um, he says to me, hey, John, I'm going to take you over to Missouri. I want you to fly out on Tuesday, work with my program on Friday. We're going to travel over to Missouri. I'm going to want you to meet this guy. I said, all right. He goes, I think you guys are going to hit it off. And, man, did we ever hit it off. And I'll tell you what, he taught me so much about the lower half. And this was 22, February 22 or 21. And, again, like Matt and I, we talk three or five times a week. And we're always hitting up. I'm sending videos back and forth. The man is special. Um, And he's intelligent, very intelligent. He can see things. He can. So I went went out there. I met him. I flew back out again in September of this year or September of last year. I went back out there, spent three days with him. Uh, We watched film for nine hours. He taught me how he watches film. Uh, He taught me his way of using his lower half. And then people like Matt and another buddy of mine, Corey Mayer, that's out in Wisconsin. Another very intelligent man. He sat behind the camera for a lot of Rich's stuff in the HLP. Um, and Corey is a very intelligent man. Don't let him fool you. But again, he doesn't talk much on Twitter. His uh, his Twitter handles Corey Mayer, but it's got a big smiley face on it. And again, these guys are smart, but they don't want the whole riffraff what goes on in Twitter and they just stay under the radar. Why they gravitated to me, I don't know. Um, maybe because, you know, go ahead, Matt.
2: Yeah, let me just, you know, I'll tell you why. A uh, couple of two things I want to point out here. Um, number one, all the stuff you just heard from John. I mean, I'm nodding along and it, it, it's it's a lot harder to, to listen to him and try to understand what he's saying. It's much easier just to say, oh, that's a launch angle swing. I don't want to do that because it, it's just, it, it's, it's kind of, easier not it is it is easier just to make an athlete feel good in your cage flip the ball down the middle and 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 get your 50 bucks for the half hour and move on you know to the next guy who's going to do the next thing it, it's much harder to and if you ever go into a john session it's like first of all time limit i'm sure he has time limits i don't know that he adheres to them but like he's not done until he's done and the the price is going to stay whatever it was in the beginning. It's, it just doesn't matter. So I guess my point is, what do people give John Flack for? Well, John's going to going to be complicated because ter- hitting is complicated. It's hard. So John is going to you know uh, break things down. He makes it as digestible as possible for the athlete, age appropriate, and um, and it's a, it's a lot harder than than teaching somebody to hit a ball off a tee or flip. So. I think John and I and others get get lumped into this launch angle argument because it's an easy argument to make. Launch angle is just a metric. Um, even when you hit fungos and you hit a ground ball and in, in you know infield warm ups, that has a launch angle a negative one, but it's a launch angle. So John's not teaching a launch angle swing as much as he's teaching athletes how to recruit from the right places, when to recruit, and then the movement sequence that follows. And the other thing that I, I'd like to mention about you know maybe why people. Uh, Uh, follow, you know, what he says or why Corey, you know, John takes a lot of the bullets for us on social media. we've got everybody's favorite troll, Mr. Fry, you know, who's scamming people with water bottle sales. Um, You know, again, he's, he's made a whole brand off of making fun of other people, trying to help kids. Now is some of his stuff, you know, um, funny. Yes. Um, But again, he lumps everybody together. It's, it's like, Yes, I do think that the travel ball team that pitches the same kid every weekend and plays all year round should feel some scorn. But should a guy in New Jersey who's, you know, a retired cop uh, and has people flying in from Florida, California, and all over the place be given the same kind of scorn? No. So I think Corey and some of the other people he's mentioned, um, you know, they don't want to they don't want to end up on one of those feeds or whatever. So they, they don't put that stuff out there, but they're very generous people. If you ever got in touch with Corey – or uh, if you're privileged enough to know the guy John's talking about in Missouri, um, they are very generous because I think at the heart of these these instructors that go back a few years, we feel a tremendous debt to what baseball has given us. I, he's too humble to say this, but baseball has given John a, a second chance and a second way of, of looking at uh, life and, 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 a, and, a, and a better way for him to make a living for him and his family. And uh, I know he wants to give back to that. So he will help you if you're a stranger. I'll bet his DMs are full of people he's never heard, and sometimes we will get back to them. Sometimes we will have to weed out some baloney like uh, you don't know what you're talking about, but he will genuinely help you. That's why, Corey, that's why uh, Mr. Klein in Nebraska, uh, Coach Atlas in California, there, there's a lot of people that uh, that think very highly of John because they know him. The people that, that don't know John are the ones that say the negative stuff. If you truly knew – Uh, coach John, uh, you you wouldn't have much negative to say about him. So those are two things I wanted to jump in and say, you know, it's a lazy argument to say he teaches a launch angle swing because what he's actually doing is hard. Uh, I think he's picking up where coach Nyman left off years ago because coach Nyman was very complicated, very engineering ish when he would discuss movement sequencing and patterns. And John has broken it down to to the uh, molecular level uh, and, you know, and, and that makes it easier for kids to pull off. And then down the road, they will have to develop the strength to be able to do some of the stuff, mobility. And he's increasingly learning about that as well. One final thing I'll say about this, because this has been true for me, too. John learned from Richard. He learned from, uh, you know, Juan and, 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 and Coach Latif and, and, and everybody that he has mentioned. But he and I have talked about this privately, and I'll say it publicly. It wasn't until we decided to do things our way that we really started to help our athletes. I did all the five driveline constraints. I did Alan Jager's uh, long toss program and J-Bands. It wasn't until I decided to dig in and try to understand the way the body worked that I you know, really took off as, as a performance coach. And, and I would bet John uh, would say the same thing. His way of doing things while rooted while wow, influenced in all these certain all these people uh it is an influence he does learn from them but he is believe me doing his own stuff and that's when when you own it he talks about feel I, I use the word own it but I think we're talking about the same thing then I think it becomes a lot easier to get buy-in from your athlete and that's when they take off when you have an athlete do something and look at you like hey did I do that right that that's not where you want to be. You want to have, you want to get to the point where you're with your athlete, they do something and they know it's wrong because they don't feel it or they see it on video. Oh, that's wrong. That's where he's trying to get you. That's where we here at PBS are trying to say, Hey, our job is to eliminate our job. We want to get you to feel and move the right way for you. Cause how you move, how one guy moves isn't how another guy moves, but there are checkpoints along the way that most people should follow. And and that's uh what I think is 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 special about what he does, and why so many of us uh, are lucky to to get to talk with him about about hitting and, and uh, baseball.
0: I like that. Now, our job is to eliminate our job. I like that. Right. Yeah. And teaching, I, I want to add. On yeah. that. I
1: want I would like. To ahead, add on, I would like to add where our job at the end of the day is get these kids confident in the game of baseball or softball. Okay. I want them to make adjustments pitch by pitch, right? If they foul something off, they feel their hands drop, they roll over something. I want them to immediately know what they did wrong and how to fix it on the outside part of the box. I want them to be able to get out of the box, regroup, fix, get a feel for what they did wrong, get back into the box, clear the mind and do what they got to do after they just fix it in their mind. I don't want them to rely on a third base coach to probably just watch a YouTube video and is showing something down there and telling them you did this, you did that. I want them to be able to feel their body and be able to make instant corrections. I believe the swing, there's no such thing as a pattern. I believe the body will tell you when you're right and you're wrong. For every inch my backside moves down, my front side has to move up to clear space. To work under, I have to be able to create compression on the backside of my body or stretch on the backside, to be able to compress front side to turn under. So, a lot of times when I talk, I'll tell kids to skip rocks. Stay on the side of the body, skip a rock, cheek to shoulder, allow your head to be a non moving head and center axis. And I want your shoulder to travel underneath to when you hit your cheek. Once your shoulder hits your cheek, then your head can release. I want you to be on the side, I believe. Again, this is my instruction. This is the way I believe. A ball's coming in from the pitcher from a straight line. Yes, it's got spin. But as long as a hitter can maintain a sideways position as long as he can, he's going to leave the barrel in the zone as long as he can with great posture. Again, we have to be turning into the body. We can't turn away from the body. We turn away from the body, we're losing spinal angle. The only way the body can maintain spine is if we're turning in, the elbow works into the hip, And from there, we're skipping rocks and we're holding side of the body. Once we learn how to hold side of the body, again, the feet, I believe, again, oppo, middle, end. We have to control center line, midline, which is our belly button, our midline. Outside, we're going to have a point of travel. It's going to be a little less. Middle pitch, it's going to be a little more. Inside pitch, it's going to be a little more rotation. I do never want my hitters to come around front side if we're going to release the body and want my body to release inside the plate with my eyes and nose working inside the plate, I don't want my eyes and nose working on the outside part of the plate. I always want cheek to shoulder. And I'm very adamant about that when I'm in the cage. So therefore they can really feel their body. I'm really hard on them with the feels. So therefore they can make the corrections. One of my, you know, one of my biggest success stories to date
2: Again, I've had a lot of
1: people fly in. Like I said before, I've had the Baltimore Orioles, um, Matt Castle's father flying with the younger son from Florida. Um, I have had um, Karina Gaskins from Notre Dame. Um, She's a hell of an athlete, great individual, uh, great family. Um, She was going into her freshman year. Again, she was uh, referred to me by Coach Atlas out in California. Coach Atlas had moved out of New Jersey um Karina was looking for a new hitting coach um so they recommended me which again I was very very honored uh, Karina walks in my door I'm like oh my god I looked her up first and here she is Gatorade player of the year her uh her junior and senior year in high school she's going into her freshman year she came in December of 2020 and I'm like man this kid's a beast and she had this huge huge leg kick um, I'm watching the body move and I'm seeing how the back foot's responding to this leg kick. She's rolling outside that backside ankle. She had a lot of sway going on inside her pelvis. She didn't have really strong connection to the ground. She goes through her freshman year. She had a really good first half. Second half, coaches started to figure her out. They started pitching her out and they started killing her up top. She came home. That year after her freshman year, I, she asked I told her I gave her my two cents because I watched every game. Her father would loved her leg kick because it kind of like separated for her from the rest of the girls that looked cool. Um oh I mean it was huge. The leg kick was up to her chin. It was crazy. And I told both of them, I said, you know, who am, you know, first of all, who am I? I'm just a small guy. I'm in a wreck cage. Um, I'm renting out a wreck cage. It's like a little league. I got no, I got no freaking data. Um, I'm just telling the father, I said, I don't, this leg kick's got to go. He's like, what? I said, the leg kick's got to go. Um, she's, she's losing ground. They figured her swing out. They, 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 second half, they, they picked her apart. Um, I said, the leg kick's got to go. And I said, I don't know what you think, Karina. And Krina's like, I think you're right. I started breaking down the pelvis. I started to getting her stronger connection against the ground. Uh, and then she goes back her sophomore year. We work three days a week, two hours every time, two, three hours. I barely even charge. You know, I didn't even take barely any money. I just wanted to make this kid the best player she could possibly go and go in her sophomore year. And I'm making a big risk here. I'm taking a huge risk, a Gatorade player of the year, going to Notre Dame on a full ride almost, one of the best hitters to ever come out of New Jersey for softball. And here I'm telling the mother or the father and, and the girl, Karina, we got to change your, your, your stance. <laughs> and then she, we changed her stance. She goes back into her sophomore year and she wins ACC player of the year. And she's an all American. Um, you know, this year she's batting over 400 in the ACC having less of a production with RBIs, but they're, they're pitching her hard because she now she's known, but she's still producing. And I talked to her almost, you know, a couple of times a week. And she's like, I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident. I'm confident where I'm at. I feel good. Um, and that's another thing with me, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, I teach the launch angle, but I don't think anybody understands how well I can get my point across mentally to each one of my players um, regarding my past and my career mm-hmm. and the failure that I've gone through in my life to be where I'm at today. So, you know, I feel like I can really tap into these kids and the kids that stick around, you know, I at the end of the day, eventually thank me. How do you uh, how do you Arnold, go about
0: t- tapping into your past to help them?
1: Well, I mean, you be on a job and you're on a job for 20 years, and you see all the death that I've seen, and you have some bullets come flying your in your direction. I think that uh, you'll be able to be able to mentally get into them to make them feel like they're invincible when they're in the box. Um, you know, I make sure my kids and my players. I talk about life. Make sure they have a plan. Make sure that they're prepared. Um, you know, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to this. Um, I was you up a math. Again, the
2: one the one thing that uh, again, both as a a peer of John, but also as an observer, the number one word that that comes to mind when I watch John teach is the word genuine. Um, he's a very genuine guy, and I think. When you go to a typical instructor, and I'm, I'm sure I'll get flack for this, it's just not the same. They're there to um, give a lesson, make money, and, and everybody's in this to make money if, if this is what they do. But what's different about John is is he's very, very genuine. So when he tells his story, and I, I, he shared some incredible stuff here that uh, that that. I, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't know that it belonged in a, in a hitting clinic, but he did it anyway. And then two or three days later, I had my strength coach say, Hey man, that was uh, some serious stuff that he was talking about. And, and wouldn't you know it, one of my young kids reached out to the strength coach. And then I, I found out later reached out to John to talk about some personal stuff that had nothing to do with baseball. So I think when you are genuine like that, whatever it is, cop personal, being a dad, being a husband, being a kid that's made mistakes. I think he has a unique way of talking like that, that makes him different to these kids. So these kids hear him and I don't think the, uh, the physicality of John and the accent and all that stuff. I don't think that is, I don't think that is gets enough credit. He he, he's almost like a, he's just different way. He talks the way he walks and how he connects with these kids is something different. And I think in this world where everything is packaged the same, uh, it works for John and it works for these kids that are, uh, that are with them. So again, the word genuine is the one that, uh, and, 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 make no mistake. Some of the places John has gone, he's gone to, he'll come here and and we've got, you know, all types of people, blue collar, uh, to affluent people. He, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a, a hedge fund manager or a, a factory worker, John can connect with you. And, uh, and I think the word genuine is, is, the most applicable word here because uh, whatever reason, if you're in a cage for more than 10 minutes with him, you're going to say for better or worse, this guy's different, but it's coming from the heart and it's genuine. And uh, I think kids are missing that. Um, and he connects with them uh, just by being himself, you know, uh, uh, John Madden was great at what he was because he was just being himself was, you know, you look at John Madden, he wasn't uh much to look at. He's a former player, former coach or whatever, but he became the best broadcaster in football because he was genuine. He was himself, and he connected the material to the average Joe. And I think uh, that's an interesting analogy for John. I'm sure he's never heard that one before, but but that's uh, that's what John is. He's genuine. He's himself, and people accept that. It's refreshing to hear somebody be honest and not always show you the shiny Instagram parts of their life. Uh, John will, uh, will tell you about his warts and his scars. And uh, I think it, it lends you a little bit of uh, credibility and buy-in.
0: Yeah, I think, you, and you brought this up a couple of times, Matt, it's it's so easy on social media to to look at one post or a couple seconds of a video and, and judge somebody or think that they do something a certain way when you really don't have context, right, of, of like what they're doing or why they're doing it. And I mean, I, I think people have done that to, to all of us before, but um, so I th- think that's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast for one, where it's like, okay, let's get people on here and, you know, let them share like what they really believe in and teach in. Teaching. And so there's not really this divide between, you know, what people re- think they're doing versus what they're actually doing and teaching. Um, Matt, I know that, you know, you I've seen, you know, we're doing some research on you. You've done some pitching stuff. You've done some hitting stuff. Um, wh- what would you say your main, like, is it mainly you do pitching or is it hitting too, or is it a combination of both?
2: You know, um, for a long time, um, hitting paid the bills here. So I had to keep the lights on. So I would do hitting lessons. Um, but my passion has been just throwing. Um, so it's really in two parts. Number one, um, I actually just went to a senior night for the first softball girl that I ever, uh, trained. I, I was a favor to the dad who I was giving hitting lessons to. I didn't think I had anything to offer girls for softball um but she became my first client and she's graduating next week and uh and i i took a look at the way softball girls throw and it was uh you know the, the phrase throw like a girl while horrible i think comes from a place of honesty because if you look at a girl throw and a boy throw they generally don't look the same and i don't know what all the reasons are i've heard some theories but I've been able to help a lot of people um, all over the country uh, throw a little bit better regardless of position. Obviously, with my son's injury, I transitioned from like hitting guy uh, to throwing guy because my main focus back then was why did Joey get hurt? You know, like what, what happened with him that so that this doesn't happen again? And initially it was just for him. But then, um, when I started to learn what I learned, I was able to pass that on to people around here who were who were thirsty for that kind of information because arm injuries have been a problem for a long, long time now, and uh, nobody has the right answer. But certainly, we I think made uh, we've taken steps in the right direction. So throwing has been the one thing that uh, that I'm most passionate about. But taking a a whole ground up approach, if you wanna if you wanna throw better, there's really three pillars. Um, first is you know sequencing. Um, second would be Um, rotational power, and third will be momentum. So we find the gaps in those three pillars and fill them in. The reason why I have a full-time strength coach, as John pointed out earlier, I think it's tough to really be serious about baseball when you get to 14 or 15 without some element of strength and mobility and performance in there because that is one of the pillars. If you're maxed out in mechanics uh, and you only throw 78, 80 miles an hour, well, you have to get bigger and stronger. And I feel like I have... Uh, the very best strength and conditioning coach uh, in Western Pennsylvania here. He works uh, with 20 professional ball players in this area uh, on baseball-specific strength. So my focus would be on throwing. That's what I'm really passionate about, but I love to teach hitting. Um, and uh, the, the second thing that I've become known for with professional pitchers is something called pitch design. And that's where the uh, article that you referenced with Travis comes in Um a long time ago, I went all in on technology that tracks uh, how a ball moves, spins, and also um, high-speed uh, photography uh, so that we could get a sense of what's happening when the ball comes out of the hand. And pitchers are always looking for other ways to get guys out. And um, and that, especially at the highest levels, uh, becomes very, very important. If you want to beat a, 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 one of John's hitters, uh, you're not going to beat him with fastballs. You, you have to beat him with um, – two or three pitches that look the same for about 30 feet and then deviate the degree to which they deviate after that uh, usually lends itself to the level a little bit, maybe a high school guy, a little bit more college guy, you know, you got 40 inches of deviation on a a sinker slider. Uh, Well, then you're probably a really good professional pitcher. So, um, so that would be the other thing that I, uh, that I'm passionate about or or what, what we've become known for. A lot of people will say we're just the velocity place and we teach people to throw weighted balls and, and that's dangerous and stuff like that. But again, going back to whole John, John's whole thing with you know, why do people criticize John? Well, it's a lot easier to say you know this is the weighted ball place where people do run and guns. Nobody wants to talk about you know the the hours that they spend with Coach uh, B doing you know mobility and, and 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 recruiting from the right places. And it's just easier to say that that's a weighted ball place. And certainly we use weighted balls; they're a tool, um, but we use footballs and tennis balls and j bands and a whole bunch of things to to get the job done And if you look in john's i made this joke to john uh last time he was here maybe the time before i can't remember when john pulls up he's got a trunk full of shit um and he emptied it back there and i said we're not using all this and he goes no going to use all this and i said you know what this is though and he goes "Why?" and i said uh you know this is like four years of your work. We used to be using this thing, then we moved on to this thing, and it it's kind of an evolution. And, and I, I've seen that in here too. Like I've kind of put away some – I used to use seven different types of plyo balls. Now we just use really a seven-ounce ball. It's really all you need. And, and so uh, just the evolution that you find better ways, more efficient ways, safer ways, the act of throwing. You know, if John does a bad job teaching somebody how to hit, then the worst thing that happens is they don't hit. If I do a bad job teaching somebody how to throw, they end up in surgery. So there's a, a higher risk element uh, with 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 the throwing than there is for the hitting. But um, you want to be better. You want to be safer. And so uh, that journey uh, with John's box of toys was really, really funny. We got a we got a chuckle out of that for about a minute, and then he went right back to work. But uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, that that is funny, and uh, that's a great point. I think that's what makes me so nervous about ever giving pitching advice is man like you you tell someone the wrong thing that you out and get hurt man i mean their career is in jeopardy versus hitting where it's like uh you had one bad game like you're gonna have <laughs> another one the next day you know what i mean um but i and i've heard you mention this a couple times now matt is you know you you talked earlier about how when you first started out and john you did this too where you know, it was like you were you were learning and researching and and going in and and trying to find different people. And Matt, you mentioned Kyle Bodie and Eric Cressy and um, Alan Jager and all these guys. And then eventually it's like, okay, you learn what they do. Then you started taking action and, and developing and working with players. And then you kind of combined everything and made your own. And I think, um, and, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Matt, is, do you think that's the best way to go about it for coaches to learn is, is to go and, and research and, you know, ask questions from from different coaches and learn from from how they do things, and then basically cre- and create your own way of doing it. Is that the best way you think for them to to go about it?
2: Um, that's a great question. Um, let me let me answer in a few parts. So, number one, um, I would certainly, if you're curious about helping uh, kids in baseball or softball development, you certainly should um, you know, grab a few books or 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 study some things that have worked for some of the very best people that have done it. Um, And and there are many. Uh, Number two, um, when it comes to application of what you've learned, you're going to need some people in the cage. You are have to spend time in the cage. Uh, John called it trial and error. Um, And and that's when you get a sense of, okay, yes, so we're talking about lead leg blocking. But if I say lead leg blocking to an eight year old, he's going to look at me like I'm an alien. So we really have to find a unique way to um, to pass on what we think we know. So while we're doing uh, this process in the cage, the trial and error part, uh, then you start to learn. Okay, this is what I think I know, but now I'm moving on to what I do know based on my experience. So I would say it starts with with understanding the, you know understanding what other people have done. A nice if you have the time, a nice side project would be: Hey, how does the body work? Having understanding of kinesiology and and, and, and muscle recruitment, um, how different parts of the body work. Uh, I think that would be a nice use of your time. Then you're going to have to get in the cage and you're going to have to fail. And uh, hopefully you're smart enough if you're ta- if you're talking about throwing that you're failing uh, without doing uh, running guns on 110%. You're going to have to find a, a different way to teach kids how to throw where they're not at max intent because as you put it, that's dangerous. Uh, for hitting, same thing, little less risk in terms of injury, but you're just going to have to learn what works, what fails. And, and then you you, you, you morph on from, okay, yes, this is what I think I know, but now through my experience, this isn't the best way to get that across, and you go from there. And I think each time you do that, uh, another layer of the onion starts to, uh, to, to to unravel in terms of finding out what works for you as a coach. And the best thing that, that I would, that I would uh, advise um, uh, as somebody trying to get into this, work with young kids. It's really easy, as as Walter Beatty says, to uh, to put a, a saddle on a stallion. Um, but uh, you can learn an awful lot from a frustrating young kid who just doesn't understand what you're doing. Maybe the the biggest growth in my life for this for what I'm doing now has happened in two times. Number one, COVID, where we weren't able to physically put our hands on people. I had to look at the way I'm looking at you guys right now and 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 think about how to communicate with somebody that I'm not there with. So. That made me that challenged me. Number two, um, working uh, with young kids. So I had uh, this giant class of 22 leave. We had like 20 kids go to college. So I, once they left last year, I had all this time. And, and John said, you need to uh, grab some young kids and start over and, and work with them. And so I uh, I did. And um, within three months, I had 15 new, new ways of teaching teaching what I thought I was teaching before and I got better at it. And, um, and then I would, I would bring these things to my pros when they would come in in November and they'd be like, what the hell is this? And I would say, well, this is going to help us, you know, grab the ground a little bit better. This is going to help us do this a little bit better. I hooked up with, uh, Harold Mazingo, Mazingo baseball, uh, former blue Jay and proud VCU alum. And he, uh, he and I were working on the same thing for a long time, back leg action. And, uh, and I, I learned from him a little bit and then I put my kids on that and then he learned from me. I found a new way to use his product uh, based on working with little kids, which was John's idea. John's background very much is working with both his son and and a bunch of little uh, mercer aces over there in uh, New Jersey. so that would be my uh my my pieces of advice. Um, I would definitely try to learn from from uh, people who come before now there's some great shortcuts there's certifications, but please. Don't just rely on those certifications. Just to echo echo back on what we talked about before, I didn't become what I thought any good at what I did until I made something my own. Yes, I'm heavily influenced by driveline baseball, but I really only do one of their five constraints these days, and I don't do it very often. Uh, yes, I'm heavily influenced by Nunzio Signori of RPP on how we uh, produce power and, and rotational power in, in my athletes, but my strength coach has some new ideas for that and they've worked very well for us. And, and I'm sure those guys and Anunzio worked, uh, learned under Eric Cressy, I'm sure he would tell you the same thing. Like Eric's great, but this is how I do things. And then whatever works for you, that's going through that process is going to help you connect with your athletes, get buy in and ultimately produce results. It's
1: so that's, Go that's,
2: ahead, goes,
1: that goes the same for me. Um, I started this whole thing with kids that are seven years old, 10 years old, 11 years old. And I'll tell you right now, like, I don't know anyone in this country um, that I've talked to that has more hours on the field or in the cage. I mean, I, there was one, one point where I was spending 14 hours in a cage a day. A day? Um, a day. A day. And that's <laughs> oh no my joke. Gosh. That's no joke. 14 hours a day, seven days a week watching kids from seven to 24 years old move. And I believe that I know my body well. Like I said, I've been lifting weights for 30 plus years. Um, Again, I've been specializing in the last year and a half with the um, Eric Cressy certified guy, Connor. Um, I can see things break down now. My eye, I can see little things, like little, like I can see a toe come up. I can see the, the heel come up too early. I can see things happen now that I've never was able to see before. And that just comes from hours upon hours being in the cage. And again, I wasn't, I'm not making a million dollars. You know, I, I, I just, I love doing what I do. I belong in a cage. I absolutely love doing what I do. Um, I know my strengths and weaknesses. Again, I did 20 years on the streets. Um, when it comes to people anymore in today's society, no disrespect. And I'm not, disrespect anyone i just think society today is hard to get along with and right now i am comfortable being inside with athletes that want to grow and want to get better and that's where that's where i'm most comfortable um i don't try to dive outside i don't talk hitting with too many people especially in my local community um like i said matt knows the stories i, I get beat up pretty hard around here i've had a lot of people put some fires out for me because all I am is a launch angle guy, launch angle guy. They all attach me to Rich. And, you know, quite frankly, they don't understand what I teach. Um, I am very hardcore with the body. I'm very hardcore rotation. In COVID, like Matt said, I was outside. I was outside for until 11 o'clock with a spotlight giving lessons to kids out on the West Coast. On, on My wife's like, are you going to come in? Like, are you going to actually come in the house tonight? My neighbors, I got a net in the back. And then I'm, I'm kind of demonstrating off the, the spotlights. and my, I'm making noise. I got a freaking net in the backyard. And I was say, you coming anytime? You know, and everybody on the West Coast wanted later license and here on the East Coast. And I would take two generators out to an elementary school. And I would run my, my pitching machine, my hack attack off the generators. And, you know, at that time I had Stanley Rosario coming in from the Yankees. I had a couple um, guys coming in from, you know, uh, the indie ball. Um, so I'm out there and, those, those people that surrounded the backyards surrounded the uh, elementary school had no problem me being out there. And I was out there cutting the grass and making the, the field nice. And, and here I am. And that's when my business really took me personally. That's when I really um, my brand or whatever you want to call this, because I have no clue. I, I'm not business savvy. I just I just know how to work. And that's when things just kind of took off um, for me. Um, like, again, Coastal Carolina, Kevin Snall came up. You know, and I worked with his son. His son, unfortunately, had some, you know, medical issues. Uh, he wasn't able, He being a baseball coach, the last thing that he has is time to work with his own. Um, he's all about the barrel turn process. He's all about the turn. Um, I worked with his son several times. The kid started to turn the barrel. I, I got his nephew coming in for me. So, you know, I've had, you know, a lot of people come in and I've been able to, you know, I put fish nets in people's hands, Pat. I would put a fish net uh, and people would like, Why do you got a fish net in, in this kid's hand? You know, and I'd be, you know, Jeff Fry would be putting fish nets on his side and mocking me. And, you know, because Jeff says he pushes it and you got to go hands first. But then you watch these guys and that's not what they're doing. Um, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll put, you know, lacrosse sticks in their hands. I don't care. I don't care what people have to say. I'm good in my own skin. Um, I get a lot of flack. A lot of people like to take my, 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 uh, my Twitter posts because I do a lot of T-work. I feel as if I'll do a lot of T-work for the young kids to understand the path and the direction, but that's not all I'm doing. I, I'm flipping and I'm putting them on the machine. I get the machine ramped up against good speed, but I want them to pattern first. I want them to be able to understand their body when they're, when they're not right so they can make their own corrections when it comes down to the game in a controlled setting. Yes. Am I going to beat them up mentally? Yes. Am I going to, am I going to put some high speed in my, you know, curveballs and sliders on absolutely at the end, I'm going to beat them up, but I feel like I, I'm going to warm them up. And when I warm them up, I break them down to rotation. I break them down to the three planes of motion. I get them to tack the ground and make feel, make sure they're feeling their glutes. You know, I want the glutes to be heavy. I want my kids back. I want them to understand how to hit with a big back. Um, on both sides of the spine, not just on the backside, getting stuck around the rear leg. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of ways to break it down, but a dad has come, like Matt has said, that has come from working with young kids. The more you work with these young kids, they'll teach you everything you need to know about what you can and cannot do when I'm applied to an older kid kids can't just get stuck on the rear leg. I had a kid. I was trying to get him to hit, and his brother's getting so good. His brother's getting, and he's just falling behind. I said one day, I said, Dominic, just do your thing. I'm done. I'm done. You're not getting the low hover right. You're getting stuck. Just do your own thing. It was amazing. Now the kid's one of the best hitters in my area for high school, and he's probably going to go to a mid-major D1 school. So everybody's different. Every kid's going to let you know, and they're going to tell you a story what you can utilize and what you can't utilize. It's not a cookie cutter way. Everybody's different. I've had many kids coming in from the other way of hitting the HLP way. I've had many kids fly in because I've been down that path and I get nothing but emails and text messages. How do you fix this? How do you fix that? How do you do this? It's a shame. What's being what some kids just, are not strong enough to be able to handle certain positions, like I said before. So yes, they'll tell you everything you need to know. While so, people are opposed, gotta John, know.
0: I just got a, I just got a follow-up question for you, you know, mentioning working with younger kids. What's the, what's the setup like? Cause I assume if you're just working one-on-one with a seven-year-old, I mean, he can only swing so much. He can only stay focused for so long. Like how do you go about setting it up? So it's, it's productive uh, for like him. I,
1: like I said, it's, it's going to be all, I'll break the kid down in rotation. I got boards in my place where I'll get the kid to just go back and forth. feel his weight, go back and forth. Um, I have little discs in there that I'll get them to understand the rear leg coil. Um, this is all the stuff that I used in my mind. And, and, and when I use for golf and, and the rotational phase of the golf swing. So I'll get them to understand how their body moves. I'll get, It's a lot of times with younger kids, you know, people come in and and I set an hour because I only do hour lessons. I don't do the half hour cookie cut approach. I feel like that's daddy ball lessons. Uh, You sit behind the L screen, you flip, oh, you look great. And meanwhile, these kids are struggling when they get out the field. I'm all about prioritizing movements first. Movements over results. And parents will sit there and I'll tell them, you know, I'm not worried about the result in this cage. I don't care about the result in this cage. It's That's not dictating anything to me right now. I want this kid to move well. When these kids start moving well and they start finding success in movements, then they'll start hitting. But the hitting does not start until they learn how to move and recruit. I don't care what anybody says. You just can't put a stick in somebody's hands and say, snap a stick around your forearm. It's not how it's done. They got to learn how to move. Right. Um, and I'm very adamant with that and people will come in and be like, Oh my God, she!" Uh, you get a lot of kids that will sway outside that back knee and I'll lock them into that leg. And now all of a sudden now they're moving. Right. So, you know, once they understand the ground and be able to utilize the ground to their advantage, then start working on a top half but i don't know if matt will say the same thing once you start focusing really hard to the ground and the pelvis the top half just cleans itself up
2: yeah it it uh, up. it's a concept we we call dominoes over here so i i did three or four evaluations last, this is the time of the year where uh I, there's a couple times of the year where I, I get extremely busy uh i had three or four kids last week come in they haven't gotten the innings they wanted to get uh in in the high school uh level and uh without fail you're going to see similarities to what people do poorly and one of them is you know if if you don't recruit well or or your first move is poor on top of the mound um it it leads to early trump fly open all, all kinds of things once you um correct that now not always but but some most of the time then your body has a funny way of organizing better as the dominoes fall so if your first domino is poor it leads you down this path of disconnection where you're fighting for it, and your body's overcompensating in other places. You clean up that first move. Uh, typically, it involves where you're recruiting from uh, and, and 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 how you're holding the ground. Um, then, generally, you see. Maybe it doesn't fix everything, but it, it certainly cleans a lot of things up, uh, if you will. So,
0: so, John, I want to I want to hear from both you guys about your own process when it comes to just working with players and what i mean is like let's say john well first of all how what's the setup like is it just one-on-one lessons is it group lessons and then how do you go about it like once you once a new player comes in like what's the first thing you start doing and working first thing
1: i do first thing i do with a new player is i'll put them on the tee and i want to assess their movement first um i want to see what the leg's doing i want to see what the pelvis is doing I want to see how they're, you know, they're picking up their stride foot and see if they're carrying forward with their stride with with tension, if they're maintaining tension in the body to move forward in a controlled manner, right? Um, The pelvis offers us an opportunity to be able to move forward with tension to buy us time. Um, A lot of kids don't know how to buy time through their sequencing um, and be able to control their move out to be adjustable. Um, so that's the first thing I'm assessing when they come in. Um, a lot of times when they start swinging, I can see right away, like I, what their tendencies are. Um, I'll see a lot of kids lock out that front leg immediately. I don't care where the ball's at, low pitch, outside pitch, high pitch, they're locking out the front leg immediately. And once they start locking out the front leg immediately, I'm like, all right, then I'm going to assess that. Um, a lot of times when they lock out, you'll see the shoulders go square immediately because the back can only travel so far under once the leg locks my body can only go as far it can go and it's around and it's pull side. so i'll start there i want to see what the front leg's doing i want to see what the pelvis is doing i want to see if they're carrying ourselves forward with tension now i'm assessing their feet i want to see what the feet are doing i feel and i really strongly feel the foot the back foot will tell you what they're doing in their swing without even watching their swing. If they're taking that back heel around the toes and they're squishing, they're rotational and they're coming around the body. And I guarantee from that spot, that front legs, probably immediately locking out if they're not digging inside that toe crease in the back, I call it toe creasing. Once they get inside that toe and you watch any major leaguer from Pete Rose to Barry Bonds, to any of these guys, Uh, Tony Gwynn I really believe when I go back and I really watch Tony swing it I really think Tony was really really good with his oppo approach because he was so good in his back foot Um, I really feel like he'll extend through that toe in order to keep that barrel in the zone longer and that leg to be able to keep that barrel in the zone longer Um, those guys really knew how to use their feet and be able to use the whole field Um, I try to again I'll be able to tell the tendencies, oh, this kid's going to have a slice cut. I guarantee he's cutting the ball oppo. He has no clean direction that way. Um, I firmly believe we're only as good as our oppo direction. Um, So I'm always building oppo and high. I always try to build my athletes in the high part of the zone also. Um, I feel in the high high pitch, and you'll see in a lot of my videos, I'll, I'll put tees high um i want to get them flat i want to keep them flat or more horizontal in the zone um and i believe anything below that part you know once they're quick and they're instant in there you can't cheat the high zone you can't cheat it you have to be perfect there the barrel has to be perfect in the turn it has to be quick i believe in the lower parts of the zone you can get away with less so i'm always thinking oppo and high when i'm assessing and From there, I'll build from there. Um, And again, I had a kid that came in for three months, Pat. I did not let him touch a bat. For three months, the kid is absolutely raking right now. The dad was like, I can't believe what you did with my son. He was such a hard mover. He was so around the body. His head was flying out. I'd go, we'd skip rocks. We'd skip tennis balls. Not have him take sticks and just hold the skip and hold the side of the body, cheek to shoulder. I'll tell him, don't let the head move. Let the shoulders replace under a non-moving head. Stay on the side of your body. Let your back toe. And I really talk big about the rear leg. I believe the rear leg and the knee will control battle pass. Um, lower pitch, more crease on the toe, more knee drive. You watch any great athlete, lower pitch, more out front. You'll see more back knee to the ground. You watch any Dominican hitter, watch the Dominicans. They'll tell you what they're doing. You'll see that knee driving, almost touching the ground on something low. Kyle Schwarber last year in what was it, the uh, mm-hmm. World Series hit that ball 400 feet. His knee was this far off the ground. So I'm real big with knee downs off the back side of the body. Um, again, that leg's got to turn over back there. The hips got to turn over to snap the hands. I want that glute to snap back there to throw the hands, feel like it's snapping the hands into contact. Um, so I'm real big with the feet and legs and I'm assessing those parts. And then from there, I'm just breaking it down from there. And then I'll come up with a plan in my brain and, you know, and, and we'll do some T work. Um, but I'll get around, you know, I get girls that traveled in last week from Massachusetts. Two girls came in and, you know, for an hour and 10 minutes, they didn't touch, they didn't touch the bats. And then I'll apply off the T. Then once we start applying off the T, then I'll start flipping. And then once they start controlling the flip, then I'll, I'll move it back, you know, and then I'll put the machine on, but it's not until they understand what they're doing and what they're, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. So they can make their own adjustments when they go home and, and they can, you know, they can fix themselves and have a plan when they work. I'm really, really hard on them with just the whole, um, working with a strict routine and process. So therefore, when they come back down, I'll know what they're doing. You know, and, and that's how I am with my kids. I want them to be very, very strict and with their process of their work habits and working in, in detail. I want my kids working in detail and I want them to understand their bodies the best way they can understand it in order for them to make their own correction in, in a game or in practice.
2: So but, yeah. one of the things that, uh, that, you know, we do, first of all, John's explanation is, you know, We try to do that here with our hitters, not nearly as well as he does. But with throwing assessments, uh, we really have to get a sense of how the athlete moves. So um, we do a screening. They have to be able to pass range of motion uh, markers. Um, Then we talk about mobility markers. They have to be able to pass those. If not, then we prescribe, you know, a course of action where they're addressing those issues. Um, Because once again, we have to be very careful with our throwers if an athlete can't physically do what I'm going to ask them to do eventually, um, you got to start there. You can't square whole round peg, you know, thing. So we very much address those two things in a screening with our strength coach. Um, and then we go from there and we see very typical, we see a lot of things that are very typical in, in, in pitchers, baseball, we see a lot of poor recruitment. And again, the other, the three pillars we talked about, you know, momentum, sequencing, and rotational power. We can measure how much power they're putting into the ground um, with VBT and, and, and force plates. Um, and then we, we seek to just address those three pillars. Uh, later on down the line, we'll look and see how they're actually pitching. So just to, just to wrap up very quickly, uh, the screening is very important. And then we address the three pillars. Uh, later on down the line, we'll get into pitch design. But uh, yeah, we're very methodical with, with how we go after our throwers and a lot of guys come to us because they see all these PRs on the mound and velo days you have to work very hard over a very long period of time before you able to uh, throw a ball hard in cage one so yeah
0: john how do you go about helping players with uh, the mental side of the game building an approach a plan all that kind of stuff because i think you know people were to just like watch some of your stuff on twitter they would you know get the assumption that Oh, he's just a mechanics guy. He's just, you know, uh, you know, like you, like you guys are saying, a launch angle guy, whatever that means. And so, like, wh- how do you go about helping them make sure that they take what they learn in the cage and then can do it in the game without overthinking everything and and having a plan?
1: I'm huge with the mental game, and you know, I again, I, I believe that comes from you know being mentally right when I went to work. Like I said, um, if you're not right when you go to work. And, you know, in the atmosphere and in, in the environment that I worked and in the conditions that we worked at times, um, you're not going to come home. So with everything that I've learned through my life and all through the failures in my life, um, I, I believe that's my number one. Like I have a girl that's just started coming in. I'm not going to give her her name, but she said, you have helped me more in the last two sessions mentally than anyone's helped me in my whole life. Freena yeah. says the same thing in Notre Dame, um, Matt's son. Um, so many of these kids, I mean, I just, I had a kid that I worked 10 years. Um, nobody gave him a chance, sat him for 44 innings and in, in Babe Ruth and the kid ended up playing college and get a hundred hits. I, you help me so much mentally. So when it comes down to the mental side of things, um, we talk about controllable things and being able to control certain um, um, attainable goals and be able to control our mind in the box breathing techniques. Um, I teach them how to breathe um, box breathing. I'll talk to them about the box breathing technique, but what I'm really, really adamant on is really at the end of our sessions and, trying to get them out the door and prepare for their game is that we'll go about 20 minutes and I'll have them step out of the box each and every time after they swing. And I'll put like a PVC pipe down as like my, say my chalk line of the batter's box and I'll have them get out and I'll talk to them and say to them, this side of the, this side of the line is the think box. So out here, this is when we're picking up our coach. This is where we're, we're assessing the situation, man on second. What's my count. You know, how's the pitcher been pitching me? You know, what's his tendencies? Um, you know, what's he been previously pitching the guys before me? Um, does he have his secondary? You know, is he one of Matt's guys that's got his secondary and has he got three or four pitches that he's commanding early? Um, you know, is is the coach falling into a routine? But I'll get these kids to get out of the box, you know, go through their fields. But once they step over that line, I want them to be very, very strict on how they get into that box. It might be back foot, front foot. It might be front foot, back foot. Are they breathing? Are they closing their eyes to breathe? But I want the same thing over and over and over. So now when they get in the box, they're not worried about stress. They're not worried about the winning run on second base or third base. They are so in tuned in their mind with quiet eyes. I call it easy eyes. I tell them to relax their eyes, quiet eyes, slow everything down mentally. Like I said, with the breathing and the box breathing, and I will just have them make sure that they're getting in and getting out and I'll stop, them. you know, if they didn't get that with, I'll see how they start to get in and what their routine is. And if they don't get in that certain way, I'll tell them to get out of the box. Get out of the box, redo it. I want their mind at such ease and I want them to be just so relaxed and then so tuned with themselves that that is going to carry over into the game. And that's one thing, you know, with Karina, when I worked with Karina, when she came home, when she came home from college, you know, she was, she was, her mind was gone. Like she had got beaten up the second half. So, you know, after that, I, you know, we worked on breathing. I made sure that she kept on get, getting into the box the same way over and over. And you would see her all year. She just texts me. She goes, I generally think that I'm better than every pitcher in the ACC. And that's how I really try to get these kids to really develop a solid routine, get their minds right, learn how to breathe and just go from there.
0: Awesome. That's great stuff. Well, hey, I tell you what, this has been an, a really fun episode. Um, we should do it again. I think next time we'll do it. Maybe we'll just do we'll do one-on-one episodes. So just be like, we'll do one just with you, John. You, John, and then maybe one with you, Matt, too, um, and get kind of really into the, into the weeds with with what you guys specifically do. But where can people follow you, find you, contact you? Like, what's the best way if, if someone wants to to follow you? Like, where should they go? John, why don't you go first?
1: Right now, I only got a Twitter, um, AcesSangelo, and I got an Instagram that's private, um, AcesSangelo also. Um, and then my emails are attached to each um, spot there on Twitter and on Instagram, so you can contact me through there and then we can go from there.
2: Yeah, thank, thank you, uh, Patrick, for doing this so much. This has been awesome. I, I always enjoy listening to, the, to John talk, and, and and your content has been uh something i look forward to every time you put out a podcast so thank you for uh taking the time to talk with us um, be happy to talk with you again in the future uh we have a, a website pbsbaseball.com, nice and easy uh we're on instagram as well at PBS Baseball, and on twitter as well at PBS Baseball. and uh that's really the best place to get in touch with us um uh just hit up the website pvsbaseball.com and and we'll uh we'll get back to you
0: Awesome. We'll put all those links in the show notes too. So, appreciate both you guys and uh we'll be in touch.
1: Patrick,
2: Thank vessel. you so much. Appreciate it.